right, everybody, welcome back to Hypersensitive. Today I have a, another really exciting guest this week, and I would love to introduce you to Ash Kilback. Hello, hello. Hello. Thank you so much for having me today. So happy to have you. Uh, I'm going to do an intro for you and introduce you to everybody. So they know who you are. Ash Kilbach is an amazing friend of mine. She's an incredible storyteller, writer, poet. In 2016, she founded the Storytellers Club, which is an event series where people came together to listen and tell stories about their lived experiences. After experiencing a grief burnout-related nervous system breakdown in 2019, Ash began healing her nervous system, and that journey has led her to where she is today slowly bringing her first poetry collection to life and teaching and writing on the art of paying attention. Welcome, Ash, to the show. Thank you. I am uh, really looking forward to, to diving into all things sensitive. I am too. We're going to dive into entrepreneurship, creativity, and inevitably burnout, which I think many of us experience, especially in today's culture where hustle culture is so glorified and I have been and continue to be very much a part of that. Um, but we're going to talk about the power of rest. We're going to talk about the power of healing and recognizing where you're at and getting to know what you need. So listening to yourself and uh, we're going to get into it today. So thank you so much. Um, let's just start off with where you're from. Tell us a little bit about your life and where you grew up and how you got into all of uh, everything you do. You do so many things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. Uh, so I am born and raised in Saskatchewan. I grew up um, in just outside a small town on a farm uh, until I was uh, a teenager, until I was about in 17 years old. And then my life turned upside down by way of my parents selling the house and moving just outside of the city. And so I graduated up outside of the city of Regina, which I still am at today. And, you know, I think if we talk a little bit about, if you want me to kind of just get right into it in terms of... Yes, let's just get right into it. You know, how my story and, you know, those my early beginnings or, you know, the foundations for my life really starting rural roots in the prairies. Mm -hmm. And my parents were self-taught entrepreneurs. Um, they got married very young in their early 20s, had myself and my sister and my brother. And they were actually in the pig, pig farming business. Oh my God. I did so, not know that actually. I know. I know that, that you're going to probably learn tidbits about my life that we haven't even talked about what? together yet. Um, and so I, uh, I was a farm girl. I grew up on a farm. We had a, we had a pig barn on the first farm that we lived in. Uh, and then when my parents moved, uh, just to, to buy a bigger house, cause there was, uh, there was five of us. Um, yeah, moved on, moved on to another farm. And so, you know, my entire childhood growing up was the witnessing them really build, you know, their first dream of, you know, having 
different barns uh, across the province and wow. just making it all, you know, come to life. I have been having lots and lots of conversations with my parents over the last couple of years where I've learned so much um, just about, I think, that moment in time when we sold the house when I was 17 years old. I remember so vividly to this day, I, I came home after school and there was this man sitting at our kitchen table. I think he had a red shirt. I remember that he had a really thick mustache and there was like something immediately where I was like, I don't like this guy, like something's up. My spidey senses, my intuitive spidey senses were- Yeah, you just know. Were speaking to me. And so he'd kind of left shortly after that and I had said, uh, you know, who, who is that man? And my parents had said, well, he's here to appraise the house and had said, you know, we're going to, we're going to have a conversation later with the family and me being the emotional teenager that I was, yeah, I was just like, no, like, I want to know now, like what's going on. And, um, so they ended up saying, you know, we're, we're getting the house appraised because we, we have to sell it. And all I remember is I hopped in my car and very dramatically as like teenagers do. Oh my God. I was so dramatic. I'm still pretty dramatic, but I was really dramatic. I had like no handle on my emotions. Yeah. You were just like, you know, it's like you had to like feel like, it's like you were like acting in your own like movie during those when like something would happen and you're like, Oh, I have to just like dramatically play this out. (laughs) You know, like my life is over and like truly my life felt like it was over. So I remember like hopping in my car, we were 15 minutes from, um, we were 15 minutes from the Valley. Um, so I had driven down to the lake and I remember just like parking my car at like this kind of lookout area and just like crying and like screaming and like shaking the steering wheel and kind of having one of those like, my God, why moments? <laughs> like, like, I can't believe this uh, is happening to me. My, my life family is over. home. What the fuck? Yeah. How did nobody and tell me? There was probably like some trust that it, it probably felt like your trust was broken with your family because mm-hmm. you're pretty close with them, aren't you? Mm-hmm. I am. So for yeah. them not to, for them to spring that on you was probably pretty um alarming Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and traumatizing too I think in ways where you know when we you know when we're when we're young and we and our world is the world that we know and you know I you know I'd grown up in small town ever since I was a baby and so I had friends I had a high school boyfriend you know I knew that I wasn't gonna stay I knew that I was gonna leave um but you know it was a very you know what's very like pivotal time you know in in my like in what's the best way to to describe it like such a developmental time right when you know when you're on that cusp of graduation and you're you know you're about to you know bark and embark onto your journey of adult life and um you know when I was so settled in in where I was at comfortable knowing that I was gonna that I was gonna be able to to graduate there so anyways um, everything changed really quickly. I, and I still remember that I, it was really hard for me to leave. I had been talking with different families and different friends and saying, you know, maybe I'll just figure out a way to just bill it and just like, 
you know, finish off my year and a half left of high school that I had. Yeah. Um, and so I was, you know, trying to have these conversations with my parents and I was, I was really stubborn. I think my siblings probably have a very different perspective of me from during oh, that time. I'm, I'm sure. They were, um, they had kind of just really didn't put up much of a fight. They were just like, okay, this is, you know, what's happening. And for me, I really put up a fight and I still remember so vividly um, this one day, you know, when I was trying to figure out how to stay um, home for, you know, to finish graduation. And my mom had come down to my bedroom in the basement and she was crying and she was like, you, you have no idea how hard you're making this. Um, for me to have to be away from your dad right now. And, um, you know, we, there's, there was so much going on that I didn't, that I didn't know. It was simply, you know, I think that I just, my parents were wanting to make a business change. Their, their parents were also closer to the city. So I think that was part of the decision-making, but really it was like, Ash, you know, you're making this impossible. Um, and, you know, of course, and I kind of felt guilty where I'm like, yeah, I'm just being so stubborn and putting up such a fight. And, and so of course I eventually, you know, ended up moving and, um, hopped into the middle of my, my new school, uh, in the middle of grade 11 and, uh, went from a class of 25 kids to 160. It's a huge change. It was, yeah, it was wild. It was another world for me. Um, and so, you know, but when I reflect back on, you know, my, my upbringing, it was very much, you know, those rural roots. I spent a lot of time in nature. I spent a lot of time outside around animals and a lot of time around entrepreneurship. Right. So, yeah. you know, we, it was like our dinner conversations around the, the table were usually about business. I mean, we were helping mom and dad out on the farm and we were often in the barns and, and, you know, I was witnessing them a lot of the times working, right? And, uh, and so that was just really how I identified myself um, as, you know, when you, you know, it's often, it's often our parents or the people that are closest to us that become the mirrors um, for the way in which we reflect ourselves in the world and our identities of how we Absolutely. go on to live, right? Absolutely. And we either become, you know replications of them or we become the exact opposite sometimes they teach us exactly what to do in life and sometimes they teach us exactly what not to do mm -hmm. so it sounds like you in many ways took some of your parents teachings and sort of applied them in your own way in your own life which we'll get to hear about mm -hmm. yeah and so you know that was really what led me to going to business school um, was because, of course, like that's the the world that I grew up in was entrepreneurship, and it's not that there were never any other, you know. It's my my parents were always like, you know, we we believe in whatever whatever it is that you want to do, you know, you, you can you can go, and I think that sense of encouragement and affirmation and in, in what it is that I could do with my life was a really beautiful thing. Um, but at the same time, too, it really like and I think, like I said, where to me, there was no story or no person in my in my family, in my extended family, um, you know, even like teachers or any kind of mentors that I had that were really like, you know, there's there's other things, um, you know, that you can explore, you know, beyond going to business. Right. So like a career in art 
it's not like it was something that wasn't possible, but it really wasn't a conversation. Right. Right. It wasn't like, you know, we've noticed that, you know, you've been writing poetry, you know, when I was, when I was 10, I had started, you know, when I was trying to understand myself in the world and, um, trying to make meaning out of things. I was, I was coming to poetry, but, um, it was really short lived because when I became a teenager, I was, you know, pretty much focused on boys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and as, we are. as we are and everything else that really, really doesn't matter. But, um, and, and so I naturally just ended up going into business school and those dreams of writing were kind of just tucked away somewhere for me to find them at another time in my life. That's interesting. Did it make sense when you look back on it and realize that that's something that's always been a part of you and that while we sort of go through our teens, that's sort of a time for us to really get to know ourselves. But when we're a kid, we're just so open. We're just like this open conduit for whatever creative, exciting adventure life has for us. And we just are so open to 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 us whatever we are and exploring and then we get a little bit older and then we start to put all these like you know these veils and all of these challenges in front of us so did that make sense to you looking back mm-hmm. at your childhood mm-hmm. I mean we forget who we are right yeah where it's like I think that's so much of what it means to you know, be in the full expression of ourselves or come home to ourselves. It's really just remembering. And I, I mean, I know that there's so many spiritual texts that speak to this as well, right? Where it's just like, we are actually here to just continually remember. And, you know, it's those, it is those, you know, those earlier invitations or experiences that we have as children, right? I mean, we are the most creative because we haven't been shaped and we haven't been molded in ways where it's just like, this is how I identify. Yeah. We haven't been labeled and stifled and we haven't had, uh, you know, enough experience yet to see all of the facades that other people put on and then we start to wear them ourselves. So you're just, again, you're just like, you're open, you're truly you. And then you start to kind of undo yourself over time or, um, rather, I guess, sort of dress yourself up and put on a bunch of different masks. And sometimes we're not even sure how we really truly feel or who we really are because we have sort of lost our way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that's like the greatest journey of all of our lives. You know, I think in some way there's this universal thread where, you know, I think that's the power of story in itself, right? Is, you know, we were somewhere in our lives and we were, you know, we were a part of us or our whole selves in some ways were lost. And then something happens um, by way of either we choose, right, of our own choosing of saying, you know, I, I feel so far away from myself or I no longer want to be this way in the world and I'm going to choose something else or life chooses for us. Right. And we get initiated into these experiences, you know, whether that be, you know, trauma or grief or, you know, adventure or, you know, whatever kind of, um, you know, experiences that we are invited into beyond our own, beyond our own knowing and beyond our own control um, is that is what takes that circle back to the very beginning um, that asks us, you know. Who were you before all of this? Absolutely. Which leads me to ask you, 
How was that experience going from being with 25 people to 165 people to then going to a giant university in the city? Mm-hmm. You know, it was a natural process for me when I got into it. I think I have always been somebody that's been able to just find where I fit. You know, it's interesting because internally, internally, I've always had this struggle where I feel like I don't belong anywhere. But in truth, in reality, everywhere I've went, yeah. I've belonged. So it's really interesting how we can have these, um, I think uh, it's called, Walt actually introduced me to this um, concept. He's my partner and also a very long and dear friend of yours. That's how, yeah. we, that's how you and I met. That's how we met. And, um, but he talked about this, this story gap, right? Where it's the story that we're telling ourselves internally versus the story in the way the world sees us. And I would say that I've really, I've struggled greatly with that, with that divide and that distance of, you know, how I, how I feel on the inside, how I'm defining or identifying myself in the, in the inside versus how I'm appearing on the outside. And I think a lot of that comes from, um, you know, my tendencies, um, and just conditioning that I've been having to unravel around this external, around external validation, right. Of like, how are other people seeing me? That's because that seems, because for a long time, that was much more important than how, how do I see myself? Right. Absolutely. I I can identify with that too. I feel like one of my biggest insecurities is having people perceive me the wrong way um, or in a way that I don't find desirable. And that's something that is unfortunately totally out of my control. And the thing that I find really hard to wrap my head around is the fact that there is a me and there's a you in every person you meet's eyes and they're all different versions and also different people bring out different parts of you. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. for me, I'm like, I want them to just see me for who I am, like all of my parts, all Mm -hmm. of the parts of me. Mm -hmm. And, and I don't want them to, to create a different version. Like I want to be seen for exactly what I am, but that's really hard to define because we are really layered people human beings are layered you know we say one thing but we mean another but we're feeling something else Mm -hmm. and then we go and do another thing so I mean it's really complex and it's hard to define what somebody is when you don't live in their head and their body and we we operate differently around different people in different scenarios and we change we evolve as time goes on too Mm -hmm. yeah and it's I think it's also learning to, you know, that if we come back to that internal story or, I mean, really that just sense of self-knowing and self-love so that when we are out in the world, um, because we, and I, I know we all have experiences like this, right? Where there's like, there's, there's people we come into company with and they just, and they see us, yeah. right? And that sense, so good. that sense of feeling seen and known, Sometimes instantaneously, I think it's really beautiful. Yeah, um, I've I've experienced that myself. Um, you know, with people that have come into my life, and you know, even friends that I've met via the internet, <laughs> that I've met once in person, and yeah. you know, we're like, we feel like we've known each other since we were kids. You know, uh, so there's you know there's that sense of feeling seen, but then 
But then we also have the experience too, where it's we we desire we you know we desire that and we might not receive that from somebody else, and you know being able to come back into ourselves and you know if we're you know I think there's something to be said about just you know recognizing that maybe this person just you know we're not for each other and that's okay right um but I think also when we don't receive that kind of validation that we're hoping for um and maybe if you know especially if it's been in a relationship with somebody where we have been we have been really vulnerable right and we've shared so much about our lives and there's still parts of us that don't feel like we're seen and that we place so much validation of who we are into those people. Um, and then and then having to untangle that and come back and saying, you know, it doesn't matter what's happening on the outside. You know, and when I, when I know myself and I love myself as I am, right, then it doesn't matter that, that's, that it doesn't matter how somebody perceives me or what somebody thinks about me or what somebody says or, you know, how the world lives you know, beyond me is because I know myself, I know my place within it. Um, It's interesting, right? Like there will be times where you start to express a part of yourself that has always been a part of you and people think that you've changed all of a sudden. You're like, no, I haven't changed. I'm just more confident and comfortable being myself and I'm exploring this part of myself now or I'm exploring something new about myself and showing up in the world and not having to explain that to certain people. People just get it. They're like, yeah, that's so you. Mm-hmm. Or just, yeah, go for it. I get what you're doing. I get what you're experiencing. And it's it, it takes time and it can be laborious to have to communicate the same things over and over to people. And so when people just get it, it's... It feels so good to be seen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, so when you're asking me about like those transitionary moments in my life and, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot lately um, in feeling like in my own creative process, in my own inward reflection of just the things that I've been moving through in my life lately and, and reminding myself you know when we talk about the sense of like remembering who we are and reflecting back to those really early memories and those moments that were so defining for me where it's just like oh I was just being pulled by the strings of my own spirit um and I was allowing myself to be expressed and so one of those things was um I, I really liked fashion and yeah, I just I, I mean, of course, I still do to this day. It's a bit different from the way in which I, I initially thought I would have a full time career. On it. <laughs> you dress incredible. It's it's amazing. You dress so fun and I love your style. Thank you. I feel like I'm always inspired by you two to dress more colorfully. Oh, uh, my God. Thank so you. And you and I both are we're we're repping color. Lots we're of popping off in color today. We are. Yeah. Um, and so. You know, that was like, you know, early on how, you know, of course I came to the page and I wrote poetry um, when I was really young. And um, there was a there was a book called Saskatchewan Young Writers. And I had a poem published in it when I was in grade six. Um, it's it's funny. Wow. It's funny. Like you read back, you read back now and you're like, this was like a terrible poem. <laughs> like, <laughs> 
Oh my God. I don't even have to go back that far to, to realize things that I've done that I'm like, oh my God, that was so cringy. I can't even, <laughs> I can't even look at it. I can't even read it. Oh my God. Looking back at my childhood journals. Oh my God. The things I would cry about. Oh, yes. But I think too, like, but I think also holding ourselves, you know, and saying that we can laugh, you know, and as adults, we can look back and we can see those, you know, earlier, oh my God, those yeah. earlier expressions and to. just be like, oh, like, that was so strange or that's so silly or, you know, that's, yes. I mean, we can, it's the childlikeness, right? But also I think too, recognizing in between those things, you know, and, and like even, you know, the poems that I was writing where I was like, there was such a depth to something else there though. There was a, there was a language that I was already speaking and I was trying to articulate, Yeah, you know, the level of sensitivity. Of course we are, we are, you know, our sensitivities um, are in their fullness when we're children, right? And I think that we, you know, we can speak to this a bit more today of, of how we d- disconnect and, um, and they become dull or we, or we just, um, yeah, yeah, we, we block ourselves from them. Right. But as children, yeah, it's painful. We learn that it's pain. We also learn that it's, it becomes a shield. We start to realize, okay, I need to actually protect myself in this world. Mm-hmm. When you're a kid, you're like, you're innocent, you're open. You're like, what? I'm not even aware of the challenges in the world yet. And yeah. And then we start to close off mm-hmm. as we, mm-hmm. as time goes on. Mm-hmm. And I, um, I remember that too. And, and so when I was saying, reflecting about this, um, you know, remembering that it's like, oh, I've always, I have always expressed myself and quite freely. Um, but I think when I also reflect in those painful memories is that I was a very hyperactive child. Um, I had crazy amounts of energy. My parents called me the energizer bunny because I would just keep going and going and going. I was the same. I love it. I love it. (laughs) And just like, where's that energy now though? I need some, I know. And I like, I'm trying to harness that same energy. Um, yes. You know, it was, I think a lot of it was very much like a high functioning anxiety energy of just like, I'm feeling everything. I'm feeling everything and I don't know how to articulate what I'm feeling. And so like, I'm like, I'm just like bursting with energy. Um, I also, I have a very interesting um, quirk that kind of speaks (laughs) to, speaks to my own relationship with, I think, sensitivity and energy. Um, I get this from my dad, um, but anytime that I'm really like excited about something, I actually shake. So sometimes I like grab the like my thumb into my palm and I'll like hold it and I'll like do these little like tremors. Really? Yes. And so you've got to like hold on to yourself like and it's just tremors in your hands? Yes. They're like well my whole body is essentially like rushing with energy and I have to like find a way to like ground myself. There's a story that my grade two teacher had told my mom that I was sitting in class one day and I was going to a friend's birthday after school and she said that she kept paying attention to me and she would look over and I would be sitting at my desk and I'd be like looking up at the clock and every couple of seconds I would like go like this and I would like oh shake and she was like oh. it was like she's like it was the most adorable. adorable it's actually thing. adorable that's so sweet it's like you were really embodying this feeling mm-hmm. it sounds like you had a lot of feeling mm-hmm. which makes sense with a lot of the work you do mm-hmm. which is really feeling based yes but I mean you even talk about even being a teenager I mean we're all like insane uh like sociopaths and we're teenager we're like our brains aren't even fully developed yet and we're just like expressing and feeling everything and 
trying things and it failing and it being disastrous. But it sounds like since you were a kid, like you've just been really in touch, like in your body with your feelings. Mm. Yeah. Yes. In the way that I, you know, when I reflect on these memories and it's just like, oh, I had, you know, I had so much feeling and energy moving through me, right? Like it's like that sensation to me, the way that I describe it now as an adult, and I still do it as an adult to this day. And, you know, it's like, I'm, I am, it's, I'm like hit by this lightning bolt of energy that like surges through me and I have to find a way to like ground myself into it. Like, I'm like, this is so like intense that I feel like it's like, I have to, I have to do these like little tremors. So these like contracts, I have to like contract to like hold it in. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. I can visualize that. Yeah. And so it's a, it's a funny little quirk, but it like, but it speaks to, I think just like the, the, the energy and the feeling and just like, I, I know that I'm somebody like, I'm, I'm so highly observant and I'm always paying attention to everything that's in my surroundings and people and energy and rooms and things like that. And, but for most of my life as a child, right, where I was, you know, I was, I was asked to, to be small and I was asked to, you know, there were, there were friends of mine whose parents had told my mom, like, ash is too much. Like she is like a crazy little kid and, you know, she's too much. She's too hyper. She's too expressive. She's too all of these things. Um, And I think that many of us have, you know, that's where a lot of these wounds, you know, especially, I mean, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be related to our creativity, but, you know, whether that's just, you know, speaking up for ourselves in conflict or, you know, just allowing our voices to be heard, I, you know, in our workplaces or in our families or in our own work, right? Where yeah. we've, had these, we've had these very formative experiences when we were young, when we were like bursting full of life. Um, and we were totally okay to be ourselves. Mm-hmm. And then somebody comes and squashes that. And it's insane that it's, it's adults. It's adults that are supposed to be the ones that are supposed to love, support, protect, be an example. And it's all these people that have shut down their feelings that are telling you as a kid, you should shut down yours. Mm-hmm. But then wonder why they wake up feeling depressed and anxious and sick and unhappy and stuck. They're looking over at you who's free and roaming and expressing and doing all of the things that I think they unconsciously wish that they could be doing, mm-hmm. but then mm-hmm. we just squash it. You know, you have to play by the rules and stop talking so much and stop being yourself. And then that's where it all starts. Mm-hmm. And then we go through life and we're fucked up because of it. And it's like, where do you think that comes from? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It comes from these teachers, people's parents, peers because they're learning the same thing mm-hmm. yeah. and it causes like a lifetime of pain and you have to unravel all of that mm-hmm. it's a lot of work it's like your expression and your your comfort in being you um and just like freely expressing that you know triggers discomfort in me you know because I haven't allowed I haven't allowed myself that yet I mean that's like the shadowed aspect of it right and I think the you know that there there is more experiences that you will have by, you know, by, by fully expressing yourself, you, you know, you have a, the ripple effects matter so much more than those moments of having, 
encounters or relationships or people in your life that might ask for you to stay small and dim because it's uncomfortable, right? Um, yeah. But there's Absolutely. there's so much more of of an impact, and I think not only you know on, not only for what that does for our for our own well being and ourselves to to allow ourselves that, right? Um, but I mean, that's what the world needs. That's what the world needs more than anything right now is yes. people remembering that it's like, this is me. This is how I express myself. This is, this is me in my most joyous, radiant energy. This is me and my gifts. This is me and, you know, who I was meant to be on this earth. Exactly. Right? And I guess it begs the question, where do people even begin to feel confident and safe to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's probably where we struggle mm -hmm. a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, I think it's, if I speak a little bit to, you know, my, my personal experience and I, I'll, I'll circle back to look, some of the, you know, earlier stories we were talking about and, you know, that moment that I came home and my, I found out that our, that my parents were putting the house up for sale. Right. Um, and you know, it wasn't until years later, actually it was my early 20 or sorry, my mid twenties, my a few years ago, actually really, um, that, you know, I, that the, the industry in which my parents were working in, you know, it was very volatile to begin with, but, um, but around that 2000, 2007, eight, like it was tanking and a lot of people who yeah. were really successful in that industry were going bankrupt. Um, and my parents had to sell our house just so that they could put, because there was like the bank was essentially putting a lien on it. Um, and so wow. the only way for them to avoid bankruptcy was to sell the house. And so that was the kind of pressure that they were under. That was really what was actually going on, um, is yeah. that they were, they were, you know, fighting to just like, you know, stay alive in this business that they had, you know, bootstrapped from the ground up in their twenties oh and, um, and yeah, like and my parents had had three, three farms across the province. And so, um, you know, I think there's still so much to that story, um, that I maybe don't yet know, but you know, in every conversation that I, you know, that I'm having with my parents, um, I'm learning more about like, you know, this was, you know, there was, there was so much struggle and suffering that yeah. was also going on. And, and, um, you know, and I, I really didn't learn about all of this, um, until my, my, my parents separated four years ago. Um, it was kind of a breaking point of them, you know, I think after years of being in business together and all of, all of the stresses and, and all of the complexities that come along with, you know, being in marriage and, and also being in partnership in business and the wild, wild ride that they had together. Um, and so, you know, when we, when we moved through that experience together, um, you know, I'll say like, you know, as a family, but I think also specifically me and, and my parents and how, um, you know, when, when their marriage, you know, when, when I, I still vividly remember, you know, those, the conversations that I had had where I, you know, I had found out that the reality of what, it, of what it is that they were going through 
and, you know, that they had decided to separate. And um, I think I had a sense that things weren't good. And I, you know, I knew that they were under a lot of stress with businesses and things like that. But I, but I didn't really know the gravity of, of all of the inner workings of everything. You know, when we, when we think about, you know, back to that day that I found out that we were selling the house and there was so much. And I think, you know, of course, our, our parents, you know, you know, do this, right? You know, they either do it based on their, you know, it's, it's what they've learned, it's the generations that they come through. That's right. Come from right of exactly. You know what what's what's talked about. Um, yeah. You know whether we we you know are we going to tell our kids about really the the truth of what's happening, um, and you know when when your kids are young, it's like I think that um, I think it's a natural inclination for parents to want to protect their children. Um, Absolutely. And this sense of you know and maybe the sense of expectation and they feel as parents. Um, you know, if, you know, if you have children and, and you want them to see the best version of who you are and, you know, maybe afraid of, of letting them really see what's, what's happening. And I think that that was, um, there was so much that I didn't know. And I think that in, in realizing that and kind of the, you know, the falling apart of the family, um, cause that's, you know, really what happens is that when a family falls apart, so does your identity built around it. Yeah. Absolutely. Especially if they weren't talking about anything when you were in your teens, when you were a kid, because this happened as an adult, right? Like mm -hmm. this wasn't something that happened when you were a teenager. Mm -hmm. This happened in adulthood. Mm -hmm. So it was something that you had to process later in life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What was that like? You know, it was, it was really, um, you know, it was life changing. Really, I think when I think about where I was in that moment, and this was really leading up to me having my nervous breakdown in 2019, um, is that it was all around the six-month mark where all of this happened. And so we're kind of jumping timelines a little bit, but I was, um, I, I was doing the Storytellers Club. And it was really, you know, that was my, that was my first entrepreneurial journey. And and I think that was always what I was trying to chase because that was, um, you know, from the the story and the definition of how I had seen success. And it's not necessarily that my parents placed that on me and they were like, you know, you're if I, I placed that on myself, but I think in a reflection of them, right, where I was like, my worthiness and my and who I am and, and how I will be successful in this life is mirroring what they did you know, of being a su successful entrepreneur, being somebody who's known here right. and, you know, very much it was that external validation. Right. And, and I think that sense of I needed so, so, so desperately to be successful on my own. Um, and not as a way as like, and I, and, and it subconsciously having to like prove that to my parents or just like, you know, and, and it was all so much of the influence of, you know, how I witnessed them live their lives, right? And so, and so I was, you know, in the very depths of learning about what it means to be an entrepreneur. Did you base your success off of the appearance of success that you felt your family had? Mm -hmm. And you were chasing this thing? Mm -hmm. How did that all <laughs> unfold? Uh, and so it of course unfolded by way of my nervous system completely completely shutting down and so 
I was completely broke. I was, you know, I was, the storytelling shows were beautiful. You know, what you, what you've seen on the outside. And I think that it's, you know, oh, they were incredible. They were, uh, they were, they were successful there. You know, it started as this idea, you know, where I was, I was, you know, I was in business school. I was going to so many different networking events and there was that part of me where I was like, I want to talk about the real things. You know, I feel like a lot of yeah, us are posturing here, right? Like, yeah, uh, a lot of us are, you know, we're afraid to allow ourselves to be seen or we're, you know, we're not talking about the truth of experiences and, you know, entrepreneurship is a really, really hard thing. Yeah, um, and it makes it you is. meet yourself, uh, in all different kinds of ways. Well, it's also, you were saying earlier that you felt that there was never one place you felt you belonged. So it was kind of like you created a circumstance for yourself where you knew you belonged already and the people came. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The people that, that were on your level and people that were like you and people that you resonated with. So it was like you created a scenario that would bring people to you mm -hmm. that were your people. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, I think that's, that's sometimes our quest for belonging. It's like, I'm going to create something, um, yeah. that I'm seeing out in the world that I miss and that I want. Um, and that was meaningful connection. It was conversation. It's like, I, I never, I never fared well with like going and just talking about, you know, how's the weather or like, you know, just tippy toeing oh around, God, I know. around, around I life. Can't. You know, I'm the kind of person where it's like, I meet you and I'm just like, you know, what are you learning about yourself lately? Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, like, you're like, what are you about? What, what fucked you up in life? Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Do you want to hear about mine? <laughs> oh God. Cause in some way we're all going through it. And then, you know, you have the facade that everybody's putting on mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's it's exhausting mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like I just want to know who you are because whoever you really are is way fucking cooler and more interesting than whoever this is that you created for yourself mm -hmm. so take all that shit off and I want to talk to you because mm -hmm. you're amazing yeah I know that you have a story right uh, yeah, everybody has a story. Yeah, and so that was really um, that desire for meaningful connection. And then I had come across the Moth, which is a, like a legendary storytelling organization yes. of the states. They've been around for like thirty years. Yeah, and I started listening to their podcast, and I think I watched some of their YouTube, and I just was like, "Wow!" Like I was like, "This art form and this way of communicating is such a powerful force for opening these doors within us." And I was like, that doesn't exist here. Like, I've never been to a storytelling show before. Um, and so I was like, okay, like, I'm going to, I'm going to try this. And um, I had a, the first storytelling show was, of course, about entrepreneurship, because that's the world that I was living in. It was all about uh, entrepreneurial people just talking about their entrepreneurial journeys and how they, how they made it to where they were and what they created. And it was uh, in, a, in a coffee shop. It was free. Um, there was only room for 50 people, and we packed the coffee shop um, full. 50 people is enough. That's a lot of people to start out with, too. Yeah. I mean, you went from a classroom of 25, and then you just had this crazy idea 
based on something you had heard of. And then you're filling coffee shops with 50 people just to start. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like that's amazing. And putting a sign on the window and just being like, I like we're sold out. Like, you know, stay tuned for the next show. I had no idea what the next show was going to be. Like, it was just this thing. I was just operating on a... It just took off. Uh, intuitively on a, on, a, on a, you know, um, a sense of belonging, really, I think is what really, of course, led me in those early days. And then, you know, over a course of four years, um, it, it grew to like a full production that was at a, a venue here called the Artesia. And it's an old church that's been renovated into a concert hall. Um, and over a hundred people came to the shows and it was like, there was this big stage and, um, it's amazing. And then as I evolved into the storytelling, it, it became more about real life, right? It became more about, um, you know, grief and mental health and, um, you know, just obstacles that, that people faced. We really, you know, did a deep dive into, you know, what are, what are, what are the most, beautiful and the most harrowing experiences that have shaped an individual's life. Um, and that was really what the essence of storytellers became, um, over those couple of years of bringing people together to open, open our hearts, um, um, yeah. to each other, to realize, like you were saying before, um, that we are each other. Uh, Valerie Carr is, um, an incredible activist that does the revolutionary, uh, revolutionary, love project. Um, and her memoir, see no stranger. She always talks about how anytime I meet somebody that I don't know, and before I'm about to judge them or before I'm about to make a story, I always say, you are a part of me. I have not met yet. That's gorgeous. And I, that's always stuck with me. And that was so much of what storytelling does, right? It opens that doorway, that bridge where, you know, two strangers, um, you know, can find each other and meet somewhere in the middle and say, wow, you know, we've lived entirely different experiences. Um, but I see me in you here, or I know what that, um, I know what that feels like. Yeah. That no explanation. They just see you. Yeah. Yeah. So what happened from there? Because you were doing the Storytellers Club and how, how many years did that go on? Four years. And, uh, yeah, so, so, okay, so that's, that's what's happening on the outside, right? You know, if you were coming to a show and you were experiencing this, it was like, you know, it was a success. Um, and, and of course I, and of course I like, I like fully feel into that and, and have such like just so much love for that time in my life of just, of what I did, of what I created, like, um, uh -huh. you should feel very proud and on such a and such incredible, an incredible, so brave, intuitive whim. Yes. Courageous. Yes, it really was courageous. Um, I like that better. It really, it really, it really was. Um, but you know, on the outside it was that way, but in the inside I was like, I was struggling. I was, I mean, I, I was, I was super broke. Like I was trying to make it as a freelance writer at the same time doing these storytelling shows. I mean, you you really don't make a lot of money on event, on a, on event planning businesses. Um, and you know, there's so much work and I, I mean, I was doing everything. I had a small team of volunteers. I had a, you know, I had a, a video photo crew that I hired that helped me out. And so, you know, there were, there were people, but I mean, in terms of, you know, bringing, 
bringing everybody into the event to finding the storytellers so many moving pieces to workshopping with every storyteller to get them you know ready for the stage um to hosting event itself um and so it was just it was a massive amount of work for for one person and so yeah that sounds like a lot of work and then it sounds like multiple people's jobs yeah and then I was that you were doing as one person so it was, it was not only like all of those things, but then I was also holding a lot of space for trauma. Um, because, you know, when you're working with people's stories and some of the different themes and the different events that I had, they were, they were really, really hard stories. And I think that, um, you know, it, it taught me, it taught me a lot about learning how to listen and, and how to help people, you know, take what is their, their most painful lived experiences and tell it in a way that empowers them. Um, and, you know, there was so much that I learned and just like um, in, in being in that kind of space and holding that kind of space um, and learning how to be gentle and loving and compassionate with people's trauma. Uh, and a lot of time people that I like, you know, there, it was of course people that I had known, but not all of the time. Um, and, you know, I think it, it speaks to, the way in which I was able to hold space for, for others to feel seen in that way. Um, and that was so much of my intention, right, with, with, with storytellers was allowing people to feel that. And I think that's, of course, what allowed people to come forward and say, I want to share this story. Never shared this, you know, maybe let alone with, a, you know, family members, but I'm going to tell the story on stage to 100 people. Yeah. It's a pretty wild thing, isn't it? Well, they obviously felt really comfortable and safe with you to be able to do that, that you could create something where people were willing to be able to tell that part of themselves. Mm. So you're at this point where your parents are going through, an, through a divorce. Your idea of success that you grew up with has now fallen away. It's not what it seemed. You're broke, but you're putting on this incredibly successful show and you're also doing all of the jobs. You are holding space for people and their trauma and their stories. And you're also, you know, doing your own writing. And so all of this, it sounds like it just came to a head. It just was too much. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think, Does that sound right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think a lot of, I was holding so much space for other people's stories that I wasn't holding space for my own. And I wasn't right. being honest, right? Like, and I, and I think that, but I think I also, you know, I, you know, when you're in it, you don't, you don't really realize how far you're in it. Um, it's funny that, you know, Walt and I were <laughs> just laying in bed last night talking to each other. And, you know, you can look back on some of these moments in your life and you laugh, right? But we were talking about this oh, yeah. apartment that I lived in. You came to that apartment. Um, it was this dingy, oh, yeah. Yeah. it was this dingy little apartment that I lived in, in this like. Um, I liked it. I, you know, I did too at the time, but like, but in a way, like, so we we're laughing about it, and like, I, I had my mattress on the floor because I was also just like going through this phase of like, I don't, okay, I, I don't want to lay in a yeah. bed frame. I don't want to lay on the floor. Um, but like, I had my mattress on the floor. Like, I didn't really have a proper TV stand. I had like a, my writing desk was kind of in my living room, and we just like put my TV on my writing desk. Um, but like, you know, there's so much to be said about like, and so we were, so we were laughing about this last night and I just was like, you know, I, 
I was actually moving through so much in my internal world and like really that that place where I was at like you know even though you know and the building itself was like um you know it was you know an older historic building but there was a lot of really heavy dark energy in the building and and like even just like when I reflect on like how my apartment was um at the time where I'm like, yeah, I was like excited to be in this little like, you know, historic apartment, but it was a cool place. It was very charming, but yeah, I mean, because it's older, because of the neighborhood, um, it, it probably has held a lot of people in it mm-hmm. and there's probably a lot of stories there that have been left behind. Mm-hmm. But even just the way that I was living, right? Like I think, and I think now, I mean, you can always, you can always see it now, right? And so we were like yeah, jokingly, like laughing last night. I was like, wow, like shit, I was really in a dark place. Like, <laughs> it's like, it's like, I was sleeping on the floor. I was broke. I was like fucked up. I'm living in this old creepy building but it was amazing it was a cool building like and when I say broke I'm saying I was living in like negative 600 overdraft in my bank account I had a thousand dollar overdraft that I could ride out and I for most of the time was like negative five hundred dollars like I was broke 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 like I have less than zero dollars right now I have literally nothing I owe people money yes yeah and so like you know and so I think it's just like the environment in which I was in and, you know, where I was at financially and like, and how all of those things, right? Like essentially I was just so swallowed by my expectations, um, of myself, right. Where I'm like, I, you know, I had that gap of, you know, on the outside, I was successful. Like I was putting on these big shows, you know, when I was doing the entrepreneurial thing and doing something different. It's not balancing. You know, it's like I'm successful, but it's not matching. Uh, yeah. You know, I, 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 I'm depleted. You know, you can give so much, but, you know, in order to give back, y- you need to help yourself. And you're like, I'm not I'm not making enough to even survive right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that weighs on you despite going going into storytellers and, and, and having such an amazing time and being high on that energy and then going home and being like, well, I, I don't have what I need. Yeah. Well, I'm not worthy of this. I'm not worthy yeah. of this because I mean, if people really know, if people knew really, you know, where I was at in my life, you know, if we were, you know, I mean, I guess measuring my life on indicators of success, I mean, of course, from the outside world, yes. But I think that I just didn't believe in myself. I didn't believe in myself. Um, you know, I was just, I was chasing, like I said, I was chasing that identity in which my life had really been shaped by. Um, and, you know, I, I found a place to belong in that, you know, when I was kind of moving through those questions of what do I want to do with my life? I just kind of had hit this breaking point where I'm like all of, I was swallowed whole by those expectations that I had for myself. And, you know, I, I kept saying to myself, you know, I need space. I just need some space to breathe. And, you know, and I, I hadn't actually really realized the state that my nervous system was in. I, I knew that I was really stressed. I knew that I was overwhelmed. I knew that I was going through so much inner turmoil on the inside because I was like, you know, feeling like a failure um, because of these certain yeah. expectations that I had for myself. I wasn't meeting them. Um, and so it didn't really matter how 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 great the things 
how many great things I was doing or like, you know, even if I had a really successful show, it's just like, you know, I was really not, I was really not feeling that way in the inside. And so, um, you know, I think there was a lot of indications over my twenties where like I actually, um, in my early twenties, I had kind of a similar experience where there was a few kind of big things that were happening in my life. And I was just like, um, I was so, I was at a place where my nervous system was so fragile that I was like, if something happens, I feel like I'm going to explode. Like, and I was so afraid of that. Um, I remember like sitting on my living room, on the living room floor in the first apartment I ever had, um, Googling therapists and like, and just like crying because I thought my life was going to be over. Like I just, because I didn't understand what was happening. Right. I think it was you know, when we speak about the way in which we deny these sensitivities of who we are um, and we label them as something else or we disconnect from them or we tell ourselves a different story, right? Like, I think for me, it was always like, I feel like I have a mental illness um, or I'm going to be diagnosed yeah. or my life is like heading to this tra trajectory um, where, you know, I think my, my greatest fear was being admitted to the psych ward. And I felt that I felt that you just feel like you lose all connection and all control because you haven't been taking care of this like festering feeling inside. And oftentimes when you're putting in like you have so much that you're that you're inputting that you don't even realize how fast you're going. And then when you stop for a second, it's like you're dizzy and you're just like, I didn't even notice where I was at. I couldn't even hear my own feelings or what I'm thinking because I've just been so busy and I haven't been paying attention or taking care of myself. And then you just like, all of a sudden you're just like, you're in it, but you've been in it for a while and you just didn't even, you just have to catch up with yourself. And you're just like, I, I don't know what's going on, but I'm, I'm really sick. I'm not, I'm not well right now. And I've had that fear as well Is am I going to come back from this or is this going to be the way that I am mm -hmm. forever? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I have felt that on such a deep level. And I think I was, there was so much fear that was consuming me during that time in my early twenties, um, where I was, going on a, a trip to Mexico with my girlfriends. Um, I was in a really toxic, abusive relationship. And I think there was so many other, you know, probably so many other things, um, you know, that same, I'm just of, of ignoring, of ignoring that intuitive voice or that sense of self that is saying, Ash, pay attention, please. Like, I need you to pay attention to me and, and, and then not paying attention and ignoring. Right. And, um, you know, and so I was at this like precipice of, of, of having a breakdown of, I, I couldn't bring myself to pack for a trip to Mexico. And I like, it was three o'clock in the morning that we were supposed to fly out. And I woke up, I had booked a, I had booked a therapy session for my, for the first time. And the therapist said to me, don't worry. The only thing that can happen to you in Mexico is that you're going to have a panic attack. And to me, I had never had a, had a panic attack. And to me, that meant ending up in a psych ward. Like to me, that meant like, no, if like, because what is happening in the inside of my being right now that I feel like if I fully let myself have this experience, 
it's exactly what you said. I don't know what is on the other side of this experience. And so I'm going to do everything that I possibly can just to keep myself together, just be so I don't have to, so I don't have to let myself live through this because I'm so afraid of. And so this therapist says this to me. <laughs> oh my God. I'm sorry that your therapist said that to you. That's, that's wild to me. Don't worry. It'll, you'll just have a panic attack. Did they know where you were at? At this no, point? and I mean, I I think I didn't really even. It's the first time, right? I mean, how do you get dive that deep? I didn't into even have the language for what I was going through, right? Like I was just like something. Like I'm so fragile, right. and and so and so of course, like the night before we're supposed to leave for this trip, I have a I have a dream that I have a panic attack on the beach or something. Oh my! Uh, and I wake up and I puke in the toilet, and I'm like sitting on the edge of my bed. And my girlfriend calls me and she just was like, Ash, you can do this. Like, you can get on the plane. Um, like, it's going to be okay. Like, kind of just, like, walked me through it. Um, and I just, you know, packed really quickly, hopped in the plane. And, you know, for most of the time there, I wasn't actually okay. And I don't – and my, my girlfriends to this day probably don't know this still um, because it's just like we were in our early – you know, we were – like, I was, like, 24, I think. And, you know, we were still in university yeah. and it's just like we're, you know, we partied a lot. And, you know, so we just I kind of went to Mexico, you know, we drank a lot. We partied as you do when you go to Mexico. And then I came home and, you know, I I managed to keep myself together. I was, you know, I was strangely OK. I think I was strangely OK in that in the sense that, like, I was able to just maybe go away and get some sunshine and, like, you know, suppress that part of me, um, you know, yeah, and just band-aid it for a second and, like, go and have some fun and just let go and just laugh and, you know, not take life so seriously in that moment and be able to deal with that later. Yeah, and so and so I just kind of kept on living. And then and so then when I was 29, you know, back to the story of storytellers and all this stuff, um, and I was saying, I you know, I need some space. You know, I, I just know that I'm so burnt out and like I can just feel like my nervous system is just fried. Like I just was like, I'm, I'm coming back to that place again. You know, I'm, I'm remembering this feeling in my body. I'm remembering, you know, um, I'm remembering this. Right. And so yeah. I, you know, of course, moved back home to, you know, so I, I moved back home uh, to our family house that we that we had had for, you know, the last, you know, I guess over 10 years um, that was falling apart too. So this happened around the same time. So I'm, I'm here moving in my inner world. And, and meanwhile, you know, my parents are going through their own thing and, um, and I'm in the middle of it and I'm in the middle of it in a way that it's not like, um, it's not the, the choosing sides of the conflict, but I'm in the middle of it in terms of, you know, holding space back and forth between them just to, just to be, just to be somebody that's, that's listening and, and, um, and, you know, supporting them. And so I'm, I'm, I'm holding, you know, such an immense weight as like so many things in my own inner world and, you know, really in my, in, in my life are kind of falling apart. And so I'm, I'm having this conversation where I'm like, you know, what? I'll be fine. Like, I'll be fine once I just get back home, you know, I'll get back home and I'll be okay. And, um, my parents helped me move out of my apartment and I remember they had a delivery van, <laughs> Um, <laughs> that they like, I don't know why I'm laughing at that. I'm like, you had a delivery van. It's yeah, amazing. A delivery van. Cause they were in the liquor, they were in the liquor business at the time. And, um, 
They also do so many yes, things. Yes, they were doing a million things at that time, which is also speaks to just the, the that. What you learned. Uh, yes, but the breaking point of everything, you know, um, that kind of yeah. happened all at once. And so, you know, we, my parents kind of pack my things of what I had and um, I'm sitting like, you know, and it's so, yeah, it's like a, it's a literary delivery van with like two seats in the front. And then obviously it's like the wide open back, right. With all of my stuff. And so like, I'm not actually sitting in a seat. Like I'm, this is like, I'm, la I'm laughing about it. It's, this is how we laugh about, you know, things that we've lived through. But like, when I look back yeah. at the time, the it's truth not funny, of it was like, like this really is ridiculous. sad. Um, and so I'm like, <laughs> I like sad sitting funny. with yeah. my legs up in the back of this truck and I just start crying and, you know, and it just became to the point where I was just un crying uncontrollably. Um, and I just, I lost and, and my nervous system just completely shut down. Like it was just, it was that fell swoop of like, okay, you're going home and you're going to be safe here to have this experience. And now you're, and now it's going to happen. And it was just like, boom. <sighs> Um, and just a, like, you know, a split second moment of like, I just, I just completely surrendered to the moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah, it was, and it was, um, it was really such a dark space too. You know, I went back into that space of, am I going to make myself, am I going to, am I going to get out of it? You know? You know, it was, I think I had actually, um, the course of miracles actually was something that really pulled me through that. Um, I had been reading a little of Marianne Williamson's work. She wrote a book on the return to love, which is a very simplified version of the course of miracles, which is a channeled spiritual text, um, for, for anyone that's listening that doesn't know. And, um, she had this lecture that was placing your placing the future in God's hands, something like that. And I listened to that lecture over and over and over again. It was, you know, there's these things that we reach for when we're in darkness. And, um, yeah. and that was it. Like, that was it. She spoke to a lot of the power of the ego and the way in which, um, you know, we become completely lost in our mind, right? Completely disconnected from our body in our minds and, you know, I, I'd spent so much time just listening to that and, you know, just like listening to it and really honestly praying, like praying that I would make my, I praying that I would make it out alive. Like it was really like, and it, it's, and I wasn't, I wasn't suicidal or anything like that, but it was, but that, like, that kind of, that kind of darkness space that I was in, though, and I think what I really feared about how we, you know, and shared earlier of, um, you know, I was on that edge. I was very much on that edge of, you know, am I, am I okay to stay at home or do I actually need to be admitted to the hospital? Um, yeah. Am I ever going to be myself? <clears throat> am I ever going to feel like myself ever again? Or am I always just going to be in pain? Am I always going to feel Am I always going to feel like yeah. this? Yeah. And you feel like you're not going to get out of it. Like, I think when you, when yeah. you are in those kind of spaces, I, I, I remember so clearly too, like that time was so different. Like a day felt like a year to me. 
right? And every day I woke up and I felt that way and I couldn't control myself and I would just keep crying. I just was like, you know, this is this is what life is going to be like for me now. You know, you, you really do think that you're not going to get out of it. Um, yeah, you think that there's no way. Yeah. There's no way yeah. out. All you can see is the next minute in front of you and it seems like it's taking mm-hmm. too long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how did you... How did you get here? <laughs> uh, so I did, um, I did go to therapy um, and I had a really wonderful therapist. Um, I kind of did a really um, uh, like a therapy marathon, if you will. <laughs> um, what did that look so, like? So uh, just going to a lot of sessions back to back, essentially. So um, Walt was working, um, he was working on music in Cyprus, which is a small island in the Mediterranean. Um, so he was gone during this whole experience. He wasn't present. He wasn't, he was across the world when I was going through this. Um, that's really tough not to have your partner. It was really, it was really, really hard. And I think it was hard because, um, you know, we were, I guess we were a year into dating and I think there was still that fear of me where I was like, I... I don't know what he's going to think of me if he knows really what's happening. If he can, if he saw me right now and he was present, um, you know, and I think that, and I think in a way, um, you know, it was meant to be that way that I had to go through that myself. Right. Um, and I, of course was really fortunate that I had friends and, um, you know, and I, and I, and I sought out what I needed, what I needed. And I had a really wonderful therapist. And so I was hopping in on a plane. So this happened in May. And I was, um, I think at the end of June was, had a, had a flight booked to go to Cyprus, um, to go, uh, to go see Walton and, and to, to live there for a month. And so, so much of, you know, there was a lot of things that I was kind of moving through with my therapist, but, you know, she'd really helped me in, um, you know, encouraging me to get on that flight. Um, I'm also an anxious flyer. I really don't like the idea of being in like a tin in a tin can for hours. Just, My life at the mercy of somebody I don't know. It's just like a terrifying thought. Yeah. And so, you know, I hopped in a plane. I hopped in a plane and, you know, I think Cyprus for me was like an eat, pray, love. Like it was my own eat, pray, love because I had, you know, stabilized myself enough. Like I was still so raw. Um, and, you know, I think it really helped in me, you know, taking some time away from family as well because we were, you know, we were going through so much still, you know, arriving on this beautiful island um, and where the energy and the lifestyle and everything was all about well-being. Like, it was all about slowing down. And I, you know, I think I've written about this a couple of times and it was simply like, I'll kind of tell the short version of it, was... You know, I knew my life had to change. I, I knew that there was a reason why I had had that experience because it was a pattern in my life. It was an experience that I dodged multiple times um, because I, you know, suppressed myself out of it enough that I didn't have to experience it until, you know, until, you know, life decided for me. You know, it's kind of that necessary dark um, that we yeah. have to go through. And, uh, and so you know, this, this question kind of followed me throughout Cyprus that was really like, how do you want to live? Like, how do you want to live now that you've gone through this and, you know, you made it, you made it through this. Like you, you got on a plane for like over eight hours, you traveled across the world and you're here. Um, and you know, 
what do I want to, what do I want to be available for on this trip? What, how do I want this, this place to really shape who I'm going to become when I, when I get off that plane and I return home again? And it was really about living slower and paying attention. And I think that, you know, for the first time in, I would say my life, um, I was present in my body. I was in my body and I was in conversation with the world in a way that I'd never been before, right? I was, there was so many small moments. I'll tell this short story because it was really like the, the, what led to, you know, the, the inner workings of the art of paying attention, which is simply that it's about, you know, learning to cultivate a life rooted in presence, to be in conversation with the world again. Um, there's so much that I want to, that I want to say about that, but um, you know, there was one night Walt and I were on the patio and we were sitting in these, we were sitting in these white plastic chairs. It was a full moon and it was really beautiful. Like I'd never seen the Milky Way like that in my life. It was like you could reach up and touch the stars kind of thing. And I remember us just like in between conversation, just listening. And, you know, we were listening to like the hum of the air conditioner. And then we were listening to the crickets chirping. He was saying... Uh, you know, can you, he's a music guy. So of course he was like, can you, you know, can you hear the beat of the rhythm of the, you know, the cricket song? So they would like chirp in unison for like four counts and then it would kind of taper off and it wouldn't be in unison and it'd be quiet for a minute. And then it would come back in again and they would, so there was this rhythm and like even the sound of like the air conditioner and like there was just this moment where it was like, oh, wow, like I've grown up on a farm. I've listened to crickets chirping my entire life. Like I've heard them outside my bedroom window going to sleep as a child. And here as an adult years later, I'm hearing them for the first time. And I'm hearing that there is a rhythm to the world, to the universe. Like there is a conversation here. And there is like in, 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 like it's, um, it's the miraculous mystery of life, right? You're like, I'm like, I have never in my life been present for this. And so it was, there was so many moments like that that happened on that trip where I was like, I'm coming home and I'm never forgetting this. And I'm, and I'm going to live my life in this way. And, you know, and all of those things really of, you know, deciding to heal my nervous system, um, you know, to you know, still, still healing it, of course. Um, I probably will be my whole life, but yeah, it takes But that coming home into my body and like, and being in conversation with like this, this sensitivity, the connection to, you know, energies that I, that I have in my own life and the way I am in the world and, and being present, um, you know, ultimately brought me back into poetry (laughs) to healing the heart of my artist and giving myself permission coming back to that very moment that we talked about at the beginning of remembering who I was. Um, and that when I started paying attention, I started listening to the world. I started listening to myself and I started to, to have that conversation with that little Ash that was like, Ash, you've always been a poet. <laughs> um, you've always been a writer. Come back to you've what always you know. Been an artist. And so that was kind of the very, beginnings of me saying I'm gonna I'm gonna heal the heart of my artist too and I'm gonna I'm gonna give myself permission and I'm gonna I'm gonna call myself that now and I'm gonna fully embrace it that Cyprus has a very very 
special, special place in my heart. And I know that it's a place we'll, we probably will visit many times across our lifetime together. It sounded like exactly what you needed at that time. Mm -hmm. So you needed to go. Mm -hmm. And you literally brought that feeling back with you. And you started to incorporate that in what you're working on today, which is the art of paying attention. What is the art of paying attention? Mm -hmm. Can you tell us yeah, that? of course. So it is, um, you know, it's very much just, it's a, it's a practice and it's a way of being. I think it's really about learning to slow down. And, you know, I think that when we come into, you know, I think it's very much the work of an artist. It's very much the work of a creative, you know, when we are, when we are creative beings, when we're artists, our job really is to pay attention, right? We are paying attention to, you know, what's happening in the world. We're paying attention to our surroundings. We're often, you know, very intimate observers of life. You know, that's what makes great art is that we're able to, you know, look at the, word, the way a bird flies and then we're able to talk about how that makes us feel about our grief. You know, it really is rooted in you know, my creative journey as well. And, and I think that as it continues to evolve, um, speaking more to like, you know, that the place of how paying attention as artists allows us, you know, supports our creative work, allows us to build a wellspring of inspiration and, and you know, to find the, you know, these small miracles that appear before us and to, to bring them into life via whatever art it is that we're creating in the world. But I think too is, you know, this sense of slowing down. And, you know, when I was thinking about our conversation this week, I was thinking about how, you know, for so many of us, we, we've, we don't even know what it's like to be in the world anymore, you know, really in the world. Yeah. And what I mean by that is like away from our computers, away from our screens, away from our social media, away from our TVs, away from the stacks of things that we use to distract ourselves right? To pull us anywhere but here, yeah. anywhere but here, right? And, you know, either, you know, as, as humans, of course, we spend so much of our time either being lost in the past of who we, what we are or chasing our future instead of being here, you know, what's here in this moment. And, you know, I think that that's, you know, it's, it's a part of why we are the way that we are as a society I think not only our our, our well-being um you know our like our mental health or physical health um but also just like our interconnectedness to each other I would ask people listening of you know when's the last time that you've gone out in the world like you've gone out to a park or you've gone out to a coffee shop and you've just like fully been present with the world like you don't have your headphones in you're not checking your phone you're simply just out being in the world and, you know, you're you're watching, you know, children run around in a park or something or you're watching birds fly above or, you know, birds in the water or you're just like leaning up against a tree and you're noticing the tree or you're you're just closing your eyes and you're just saying, I'm here, I'm here and I'm, I'm going to listen to the world right now. And... You know, it seems like such a simple thing, right? In a way, I think for some people, maybe for many people, it might seem like a strange thing. Oh, like, I don't, I don't know how to do that. Like, I don't know because our nervous, because Why would I don't do that. That's boring. Our nervous systems whatever. are so in overdrive, 
right? I think that's the reality. I mean, I only came... I only came into this way of being and practice because I had a really because I had a nervous breakdown. <laughs> like I had to life forced yeah, you to slow yes, down and notice. Yes. Exactly. Note. And I think that, you know, I think for many people, there's probably if I, you know, we were to ask, you know, what is, you know, what has caused you to want to slow down in your life that, you know, people would likely say like, you know, um, you know, maybe illness or grief or death or, you know, a health challenge or whatever that is, right? You know, oftentimes we are we are made to slow down by way of of forever living our lives fast, never taking a moment, right? And so and so it's this simple invitation of making time out of a day. And it, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that we sit on a meditation cushion and we close our eyes, right? It's like there are ways, you know, I think for me personally, um walking has been one of the most transformative practices. I walk every single day um, and I don't take, like I have my phone obviously with me for safety, but um, but I, I don't listen to anything. And it's simply just like, you know, I'm gonna be in the world. And, and I think that however we find these practices, like however we find these, you know, small moments in our days where we can just say, you know, I'm gonna go out in nature or I'm just gonna put my phone down or like, you know, I'm going to stop checking my emails or I'm just going to choose, I'm going to consciously choose in this moment or each day to say like, I'm just going to be present for a moment and I'm going to be in conversation with my life. And in the sense of, of allowing that to be rest, right? So we've talked about like the sense of these are ways that we rest. And, you know, the truth is we think that the more that we fill our lives with things, you know, the more that we, okay, we got to make sure that we, you know, we listen to, we got to read all the personal development books, or we got to listen to all of these podcasts, or like, here's the never ending list of pursuits that I need to be on to be a worthy human being, right, or to be successful, or to get ahead, what, whatever the story it is that we tell ourselves, but I have to consume all of these things in order to get here. But I think what's re- what I'm the invitation that I'm inviting in is this revolutionary act of resting. Is what if I like what if I started my day with 15 minutes? This is before you know I get my coffee and I check my emails or whatever your routine is. But what if I decided to just like step out on my front porch or my back porch? What if I decided to walk around the block or you know even go you know every morning and just with the intention of listening to the world of just being in the world and being in conversation with life happening around me and over time you know and I've I've been I'm on a quest to walk um every day for a year I think I'm on like I've I've kind of fallen off my my journaling um I'm probably like day 230 or something right now and so I'm I'm coming kind of towards the 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 end of this this journey but of course I'll be I'll still keep walking every day but I can tell you like I can tell you that from doing something like that and sometimes it's like and it's and it's not always going to be like you know sometimes I have a 10 minute walk and it's not really that great but sometimes I go for an hour walk and I'm and I'm I come back and I'm like I I feel like I've just touched the miracle of life again you know what sounds incredible to be able to before you even plug it, plug yourself into the world that you just take that first 15 minutes mm-hmm. for you mm-hmm. to just like 
get your thoughts, get your feelings, stabilize mm -hmm. yourself before turning everything else on because there's no turning it off as mm -hmm. the day goes on. It's, it's like the first 15 minutes of my day is going to be for me and no one else. I need to remember who I am so that I can move through the day in the best way mm -hmm. possible. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. brilliant. I need to try that. I need to do that. Listening. It's like, right. It's like, you know, and, and it doesn't necessarily, if, you know, I think like obviously being out in nature, I think is so therapeutic and so healing for the nervous system. And of course I would recommend anybody for that to be a practice. And I think that's so much of the foundation of the art of paying attention is also, you know, how my relationship with the natural world has changed because of the way that I walk and the way that I'm present. Right. And, but I think with anything, you know, is that when I'm, when I feel my inner world feeling really blocked, um, you know, and if I'm feeling overwhelmed or, you know, I'm anxious or I'm depressed or I'm just like, you know, I'm just not feeling myself or I'm feeling really off. I always ask myself, you know, how am I not listening? Like, where am I not? Where am I not listening? And I sometimes just write yeah. that in my journal as well, where I'll just like, I love to just ask my question. My sister sometimes like asking the higher self a question, right? Where it's just like, um, you know, body, like I feel like I haven't been listening to you for a while. You know, tell me, tell me what it is that I need to hear. Or, oh, okay, well, I realize that I actually haven't gone out for a walk. I haven't gone out for a long walk in a while and I haven't just like sat on a park, park bench and let the sun like just shine on my face for a little while and just like, you know, be in the, be in the presence of, of life happening around me. Right. I'm like, Oh, I've, I've forgot to listen. I'm not listening. I'm not paying attention. You know, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. I resonate heavily mm -hmm. with that. It's like whenever you have a question, you often already have the answer, but we're always seeking some sort of external something to tell us what we need. But it's like, we already know what we need, but we just need to just pause and ask ourselves the question, but also listen, give ourselves the time to receive the mm -hmm, response. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And yeah, I just think yeah. that's... And the truth, stunning. and the truth too about rest right? Is that I said this to a friend and I think I've said this so many times where it's just like when we allow ourselves space to slow down and whatever that, whatever that looks like, we are actually cultivating capacity within our nervous systems, right? And so when we're like, I'm slowing down and I'm allowing myself, right? It doesn't mean that we're going about living leisurely lives because yes, we're in the world, like shit's expensive. The world, the world's a crazy place. And yes, yep. like, and, I, and I'm not saying that, you know, we of course can still hold on to our ambitious nature, right? But the way in which we can be in relationship with our ambitions and our dreams is, you know, I mean, it's simply like taking care of our bodies and our beings, right? But it's like when we create more space to just be with ourselves and to slow down, and to really honestly disconnect, like step away, because I think that's so much of, you know, that's that's causing so many of, you know, our our, you know, mental health problems um, and just, you know, why why so much of so much of the Western world right now is anxious and depressed. It's because it's because we're not actually yeah. living in the world. And so when we allow ourselves to remember the world, to remember the beauty of the world and to remember how 
the smallest of moments when we are when we are present for them move us they will move us to a place where we will inevitably be inspired but we'll also feel so much joy and love that that only increases our capacity to be in the world and how that also reflects how we are in life right exactly. it's like when we cultivate these small practices of solitude and slowing down you know and we can go out you know if by me going out in the world sitting on a park bench and watching or listening to the birds for five minutes creates this kind of capacity and this kind of love and compassion in me that when I'm standing in a line in a coffee shop and somebody's really stressed I can just sit there in a space of presence and just and not rush and not you know I think it's just like because we're in this space of go 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 right show up in this space of being like I'm here like I'm actually here and fully pre present and witnessing life wherever wherever I show up in my day and witnessing and I and I've experienced that like I've had so many friends and you included that's just been like oh my gosh like you're so calm and you're like so present and you're so peaceful Ash yes. like uh and I'm like yeah I mean because I've been working real you're like yeah I've been, <laughs> I've been doing the work really hard paying attention um yeah uh, because I wasn't like that you know for most of my life um I, I really I wasn't I wasn't present I was always chasing and so it's the small small shifts in our attention that really transform who we are and how we are in the world I love mm. that well thank you so so much for sharing that I feel like I could listen to you I feel like hours. we could have like a three-hour podcast conversation together I know I was like we could I was have like, a Joe Rogan show I was like, four what? hours in I was like, we're, we're like, I was like what we're only an hour and a half in let's keep going <laughs> I know I know and I'm like I know you have to go but I'm like I didn't want to stop you we'll have to do it yeah, again maybe we'll come back for a part two at some point but it was uh it was a really beautiful journey maybe we'll do it in yeah. person yeah here in the summertime yeah so let's do it yeah, yeah. And just a piece of advice to everybody. Listen, pay mm -hmm. attention. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you need support in learning how to pay attention, <laughs> I, uh, yes, I just relaunched uh, The Art of Paying Attention. So it is also a Sunday letter um, that I write um, with poetry and stories and teachings that helps people slow down. And so I, uh, I've relaunched it on Substack now. Uh, so it's theartofpayingattention.substack.com, which I'm sure... Chrissy will share on the show note. I'm Ash Kilback on Instagram um, for all of my poetry stuff. I, uh, I'm in the process of bringing my first collection to life slowly. And so that will be out in the world sometime soon. I'm just letting it have its own life. But yes, this was this was such a gift to, to spend this time with you today. And to like just even how this, you know, brought us into deeper connection with each other of sharing things that we didn't <laughs> that we might have not talked I know. about and there's so much more I know there's so much more to our stories isn't there I kind of like that I kind of like leaving a bit of our story to mm -hmm. share for later mm -hmm. yeah you know yeah all right mm -hmm. okay. be well see you next time bye mm -hmm.